Well, hello, Rockbridge. I am glad that you all are here. I want to welcome you wherever you are gathered, whether that's in Hickson, Chatsworth, Calhoun, Ringgold, Dalton, or online, or somebody gave you a CD. Thank you so much for uh, tuning in. My name is Matt, one of the pastors on our team, and we are in our summer series where we've been talking about things that we struggle with, that life has, is full of struggles. And so we've had various ones of our pastors talking as I've been an Ethiopian on vacation, but I'm happy to, happy to be back with you to talk about this struggle. It's going to take us a couple of weeks to, to kind of deal with this struggle adequately, but this is the struggle of what do we do about our faults? What do we do about things in us or that we notice that we just don't like or we feel guilty about or we wish we could rewind and do over? What do we do about our shortcomings? If you're like a Christian, you know, you might call this the word sin. And even if you don't think certain things in the Bible or that Christians think are sins or faults, you've probably got something about yourself that, God, I wish I was a little less prone to get angry. I wish, this w- I wish this were different about me. I know this rubs people the wrong way, and I, I just have these faults. And, and so what we're really talking about, what we're really talking about is just s- sort of our self-image. So we all look ourselves in the mirror, and if we look hard enough, and most for, for most of us this doesn't take that long, we find something at fault with ourselves. It could be something physically, like I wish my nose were a little bit less, I wish my gut were a little bit smaller, or a whole host of things. Or it could be, I wish I didn't do that last night. I I wish I wouldn't cause such pain to my wife. I wish I wasn't addicted to. I I wish I had more patience. I I wish I was better with money. Uh, I I wish I could figure this out. I wish I could, you know, not do this and start doing that. So we have this thing called our faults. And so we generally have about two paths that we in totally in our humanity, not, not putting God in the equation, Two, two paths that we pursue to kind of do something about our faults. The first path is kind of what I'll call the Rocky Balboa path, all right? And if you've seen the movie Rocky, it, he said, he has, there's a quote in Rocky 1 is this, all I want to do is go the distance against Apollo Creed, if you don't know, so I'll know I'm not just another bum, Now, here's this path. This is the path of human effort. This is the path, if I just get here in the company, I'll feel better about myself. If I can just make the team, if I can just get a hit, if I can just get here in my career, if I can just earn enough, do enough, perform enough, get enough trophies, then I'll feel better about myself. Even Christians kind of do this because going the distance for a Christian, if I could just read more of the Bible, if I could just pray more, go to church more, do this less, do this more, God would be happier with me than I would be happier with myself. So it's the path of effort. It's the path of try harder. It's the path of do better next time. It's the path of get one step higher on the ladder. The second path is one that's growing in our culture, and and it's the path of kind of represented by Elsa, uh, if you've seen the movie Frozen, where she sings that song, Let It Go, Let It Go. But here's what she says. She says, no right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free, let it go, let it go. This is where you just begin to redefine right and wrong. You just begin to say, hey, things that I might see are wrong, they're not wrong, they're right for me. It's just who I am. It's just the way I'm made or it's just the way I'm wired or there's nothing really wrong with that. I mean, no matter what the Bible says or what culture says or what those crazy uh, Bible belters say, uh, this is just me. It's Kanye West who says this, I'm nothing if I can't be me. 
And there's something about that that's like, hey, that's pretty cool. And that, you know, that's authentic, and that's just rugged individualism. But if we really kind of you know, press deeper in, into that, we see something that's problematic with both of those solutions. Now, categorically, what both of those paths are, the Rocky Path, the Elsa Kanye West Path, is this, that the solution, and I'll call it a feudal solution, is to be self-made. Do it yourself. Go the distance with the bum. Just be yourself. You know, let it go, right? Self-determination or justify yourself. Make yourself right by your effort or by resetting your conscience or saying, hey, that's not a sin or there's nothing wrong with that. So at the extreme level in today's culture, we have people looking at their human biology, which tells them they're a girl, and they're saying, no, I'm a boy. We know there's some limits, and we know there's some rules, and we know there's some problems with this. So the Rocky Balboa path, the path of effort, it puts so much pressure on your soul. Because what if you can't go the distance? What if you can't do enough good things? What if you can't earn enough, make enough? Better yet, what if someone does it better than you? And you have all this pressure on you to try to self-make yourself and self-justify yourself, and it causes you to kind of collapse. And, and then if you look at the, hey, I'm going to just reset my conscience, and, and I don't think that's wrong, and that's wrong, it's right for me. It may be wrong for you, but it's right for me, and that's kind of where our culture is going. That creates such a level of chaos and confusion and uncertainty, because innately we know there are some boundaries. We know there are some rules. I cannot say I want to be a fish and go live in the ocean. I'm not made for that. There are boundaries. I can't just let that go and be me. Or who I think I am. So there's, there's problems with, with both of these approaches. And there's problems with you know, these, how we deal with our faults. And there's problems with this pressure of being self-made, self-determined, and self-justified. So we turn into Scripture. We're going to be in Romans chapter, uh, Romans chapter 6 to kind of look for solutions. And, and, and we have to understand, though, that these problems are causing problems. So, for example, do you know the number one, the number one mental illness or me- mental disorder in the world today, and it's going up, is mental depression. So a guy studied it, and here was his conclusion of why it's going up. Because so many of us feel inadequate. So many of us feel like we can't be who or what we need to be, even if we're changing the rules, or even if we're trying harder just to not be a bum. And so mental depression is on the rise. So both of those paths are causing problems to our soul. Both of those paths should cause us pause and say, okay, what other options are there? What other options do we have to deal with our faults, to, deal, to, to have a self-image? Because we all want to feel good about ourselves. Nothing wrong with that. We all want to be accepted. Nothing wrong with that. We all want to look ourselves in the mirror, not just physically, but at the level of our soul and be able to say, I'm okay. I'm right. How do we get there? Romans chapter 6. We're going to start reading with verse 1. Here's what it says. What should we say then in, in response to something that happened in chapter 5? Should we continue in sin so that God's grace, God's favor to us may multiply or continue? So there's Christians who are looking at their faults, who are looking at their shortcomings and saying, hey, does God now, because of Jesus and the grace that's in Christ, does God give us a pass? And you've heard people say, hey, I'm not perfect. I'm just forgiven. 
That's just a half-truth. You've heard people say, hey, I can do whatever I want. God will just forgive me, or God has forgiven me. So either way, what we're, what we're doing here is we're just sort of bypassing the problem of sin in our lives or the problems of fault in our lives, and we're trying to kind of just use God to justify staying the same. All right, and so here's Paul's emphatic answer to this statement. He says, Romans 6, 2, absolutely not. So here's what Paul's saying. We have to recognize there are things wrong with us. We have to recognize there are problems, there are faults in our humanity, there's faults in our DNA, there's faults in our makeup, there's faults in our character, there's faults in our behavior. And so he's introducing now a new path. It's not the Rocky Balboa path of try harder, do better, pray more, read your Bible more, and and if you don't, God won't. It's not the Elsa path of, hey, just make it not a sin anymore. Make it not a fault anymore. You know, just be who you are. And if, and if, and if you're a guy biologically, but you think you're a girl, you're okay. Or if your biology tells you to have sex with anybody that'll have sex with you, it's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. And we could go on and on and give example after example after example after example And those are extremes, but we could talk about greed. We could talk about impatience. We could talk about foul language. We could make all of us feel uncomfortable. So don't let yourself off the hook because here's what Paul's doing. The new path begins where we close all loopholes and quit making excuses for our faults, our sins, our shortcomings, our mistakes. Close all loopholes. Absolutely not. We cannot make an excuse for sin. We cannot make an excuse for crossing boundaries that our Creator has created for us to stay within. We can't pretend we're fishes. We can't pretend we're anything other than created people. And created people have to find meaning from their Creator. You see the problem that causes if we don't admit that. Depression is rising, and this whole concept of who am I is still unresolved for so many of us who share the human condition. So Paul says, we're going to close every loophole. Now, now, once we do that, let me just tell you, if we stopped here right now, this would leave us in a pretty hopeless spot. Because if you just stop right here, but we need to feel this. We need to feel this. If you just say, hey, there is no excuse for my faults. There's no excuse for my shortcomings. There's no excuse for my sins. Then here's what remains. There's guilt. There's shame. There's pain. There's fear. There's regret. There's anxiety about our standing before God. We look at the, in the mirror and like, okay, I can't rewrite the script. I just have, there's something wrong with me. So it kind of puts us in a place of hopelessness, but God never leaves us there, and nor does Paul. And now what he's going to do is introduce what I believe is one of the most undertaught but most beautiful theological concepts that we have given to us in all of Scripture right from the life of Christ. So we're going to have to love God with our minds as we move in to what Paul's solution is for our faults and our shortcomings and from us just owning and recognizing that we are helpless, we are hopeless, we can't say I'm, no, nobody's perfect and God understands. We can't just say, hey, I sinned last night, God will just forgive me. We can't just say, well, I don't think that's really a sin anymore. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. We can't do that. So what other path do we have? We continue reading in Romans 6. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Now, he's talking about a fact or a new reality, and he's going to explain it. Or are you unaware? So he's wanting to make us aware of a fact, a theological and historical fact. Are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, so he's going to use baptism to illustrate his point. So we were immersed 
Baptism means dip, dunk, go under, be covered up with. So baptized into Christ Jesus, we're baptized, we're included in, we're placed into the death of Jesus. And so what does that mean? So he takes a historical fact and he says that applies to you personally. So for example... For example, the historical fact that we live in America and that July 4th, 1776, America became a nation and we have a Bill of Rights, that's history. We are included in that history. So those rights are our rights. We didn't fight for them. We didn't earn them. They're just historical and now they're personal. So what Christ did on the cross, Christians are included in in their personal reality. He continues, Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death. We were included in his death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, resurrection, by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in a new way of life, a different way of life, a, a way of life where there's victory and provision and, and, and the faults go away. For if we have been joined with him, united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection." So God has done something, Paul says, about our hopeless condition. God hasn't excused our sin. He hasn't minimized the consequences of our faults. He ha doesn't let us off the hook. In fact, he just includes us in the life of, his, of Christ. And Paul doesn't want us to be unaware of this fact. It would be like an American who doesn't realize they have freedom of speech or the freedom of religion or the right to bear arms. And I don't have that right. Yeah, you do because you're included in American history. The Christian is included in the realities created by the crucifixion and the resurrection. So what we have to understand is this on this new path. We have to understand that the fullness of God's provision results in a radical new life. So Christianity is not an add-on to your life. It is an entirely new life in and of itself. So becoming a Christian doesn't just give you a new eternal destination. Christ, new, being a Christian gives you a new identity based on the historical provision of God in the death and resurrection of His Son. And Paul says he wants us to know this, and this little Greek word know is in, as in knowing a fact. This is not a subjective thing. This is not an opinion. This is a fact. So here's what he's saying. The facts about Jesus create a new objective reality for us. An objective reality is one that is permanent, that is unalterable. It's not subjective, like our feelings are subjective. It's not based on preference. It's, it's not based on, hey, how was your day? It's based on something Jesus did. Just like for Americans, we have the history, the factual history of our country that we are included in the freedoms that come from that. So these facts become our objective reality. And so theologically, so here's where i got to ask you to kind of engage with me mentally, and I'm going to try to make this clear. Theologically, we have a term that I want to introduce to you. You may have never heard it before. It's very undertaught, but it's all throughout Scripture in the New Testament, is this theology, theological term of what Paul has just described called union life that I have been joined with Christ, that I have been united with Christ, that I am included in his death, included in his resurrection. And what happens is this. I am now in Christ, and Christ is now in me. 
This little phrase, in Christ, shows up over 140 times in the New Testament. Union life. My life is now hidden with Christ. My life is now in Christ. My life is united with Christ. And this is why marriage is one of the symbols and the illustrations to, to d- demonstrate and teach us what happens when we become a Christ follower. Marriage and baptism. Baptism, I am immersed in Christ. I am included in Christ. I am adopted into the family of Christ. Marriage, I, I, I lose Matt Evans. I can't think of my without thinking of my wife. And there's all kinds of implications about those two illustrations. So what this does for us is this. Jesus now offers us what I'll call the double cure. The double cure is this. He takes away the penalty of our sin or the punishment of our sin through his death on the cross. And we get included in that so God doesn't punish us for our sins because he has punished himself on the cross and I'm included in that punishment. So if you've ever said, hey, God is punishing me. No, he's not. He punished his son and it was sufficient. If you've ever said, hey, bad things are happening to me because God did this last night, you may be experiencing a consequence, you may be experiencing discipline, but you're not experiencing punishment. And there's a difference. So the penalty is taken care of. Now, this is how a lot of Christians live. Hey, God took away my penalty, but then, hey, I still struggle with sin. No, no, no. Union life says God God took away the penalty, but God also gives us the power to not sin anymore. So it's not just I'm forgiven, and, and I, and I, and I, but, I'm, but I'm still a sinner. It's not just, hey, I can keep doing what I'm doing. God will just forgive me. No, no, no. You're missing resurrection power at that point. So union life is the penalty, the double cure. The penalty, Christ took it, and I'm in Christ. The power is available. Jesus never sinned, and because Jesus now lives in me, union life, I don't have to sin either. Paul continues, Romans 6. For we know the facts, the objective facts, that our old self, with its faults, with its shortcomings, with its sins, with its regrets, our old self was crucified with him. In order that sin's dominion, sin's authority, sin's power over the body, we sin with our body, may be abolished, may be done away with. He is simply saying we don't have to sin anymore. We don't have to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? Because God has made something right for you. So that we may no longer new, no longer. That's hope. Be enslaved to sin, to our faults, to our struggles, since a person who has died is freed from sin's claims. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. So again, those two truths of union life. I am in Christ. That means I am safe, I am accepted, I am forgiven, I am not punished because I am inside the protection and the provision of being in Christ. Christ is in me. That means I have his power. That means I have his life literally running in through me and, and becoming part of who I am. So here's how we can illustrate this. Let's, take, let's talk two superheroes, okay? Batman and Spider-Man, okay? Batman 
is a rich guy who puts on a bunch of gadgets to be strong and to be, you know, raw, right? To be the hero, okay? A lot of us think we got to be Batman. I got to be like Bruce Wayne. I got to get money. I got to have a great career. I got to get all these gadgets, and then I'll be a tough, and then I'll be sufficient, and then I'll be okay. Spider-Man became Spider-Man because a spider bit him, okay? Being a, becoming a Christian is more like Spider-Man than Batman. God infuses, injects, puts his very life into your soul. Objective, historical fact. So you can look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm Spider-Man. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right? <clears throat> so quit trying to be Batman. Receive the free gift of the life and the power of Jesus Christ. Now, let's also be clear, okay? Union life, this new concept, is not a standard to live up to, okay? But it's a reality to grow into, okay? So you're a little kid, right? And you go get in your dad's closet and you put on your dad's clothes, okay? I won't tell you whose shirt this is, all right? And you put on your dad's clothes, right? And they don't fit, but you know that inside of you is your mom and dad's DNA, which means you're eventually going to grow into this. And eventually it's going to look good on you, Lord willing, right? Union life is you putting on Christ, Christ putting himself inside of you. And yeah, there's awkwardness and you're going to trip and fall. and It's not always going to be pretty and it's not always going to be neat. But you're going to grow into this. And that's the goal of your life and the goal of your existence of what Jesus wants to do when he puts himself in you and, and, and puts you in himself and in his forever family. You will grow into this. So, so we're not sitting around like, God, oh, i got to live up to that. i got to be perfect. i got to do this and i got to do that. It's like, no. I just got to learn to walk and cooperate with Christ in me and me in Christ. Now... Walking and growing is messy because we stumble and we get sick and, and we trip ourselves up and we still, hear me, struggle. So I'm simply talking about a new direction with new identity and new power. I am not talking about perfection. So we still struggle. And here's the temptation when you struggle. Here's the temptation when you become a Christian and you're like, God, why did I do that? I thought I was over that. I thought I'd be past that. God, why am I still slipping up? God, why can't I be this and get there? And this is it's, it's kind of like you as a little kid. Am I, when am I going to be grown? When can I drive? When can I fit into dad's clothes? There's a struggle. And the struggle is going to tempt you and tempt me to quit looking at the resources and the provision of God and start looking at myself or looking out into the world. And here's what Paul says, okay? This whole passage, Paul doesn't say very much at all about me, myself, and I stuff. It's all about he, him, and Jesus. Listen to what he does. Because we know, fact, that Christ, having been raised from the dead, so he says, I want you to keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't start looking at yourself again. Don't start being Elsa. Don't start being Rocky Balboa. You keep looking at Jesus. New path, new path. And where does your, your path is determined by your focus, so God puts you on this path. Of, oh, I got to try harder. No, don't become Rocky. No, I'll just rewrite the rules. Don't become Elsa. You're in Christ. So we're going to keep looking at Jesus. So I've been raised from the dead. Will not die again. That's hope. You're going to struggle, but you aren't going to die. 
again, because you've been included with Christ in Christ. Death no longer rules over him. You're not a dead man walking. You're alive eternally. For in light of the fact, fact again, that he died, he died to sin once for all, but in light of the fact that he lives, he lives to God. So Jesus says, keep your eyes on Jesus. One of my favorite pastors, Robert Murray McSheen, he's passed away now, says this, for every one look at yourself, take 10 looks at Jesus. But what are we so tempted to do? Put that mirror back in front of our face and say, why can't you, and why aren't you, and when will you? Or look to the world and say, maybe I'll be better if I looked like Batman or became Batman. When God's like, no, 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 you're Spider-Man. I put myself in you. So Paul says, so you too consider. This is an accounting term. Reckon, count, add it all up. This is what's in your account. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin, dead to my faults, dead to my struggles, dead to my weaknesses. Or my shortcomings, but alive, new life to God in Christ Jesus. So when you grow and when you walk, you struggle. And your temptation is going to be to look at yourself or look at the world. Here's what Paul would say. Stay focused on the Jesus facts. He died. He came back to life. You're included. Resist the temptation to turn inward toward yourself or out again to the world. So don't turn out and think you got to be Batman. Don't turn in and say, God, I got to try harder. I got to do better. Focus exclusively. Focus so much on Christ. So there's two dangerous focus, foci that I want to put us to right here, okay? Dangerous focus, number one, is when we look at my, our circumstances, so, so many of us are tempted to base who we are, how we're doing, based on what's going on in our lives. Whether we had a good day or bad day. However you subjectively define a good day or bad day. And you realize that a good day, bad day is, is subjective, right? You realize that some of you base a good day on, hey, nobody made fun of you at school. Some of you base a good day on, you made the deal, you made the sale, your team won the game. And you realize that's subjective and it's subject to change at any time, which means your happiness is subjective, subject to change at any time, right? So we can't start looking at our circumstances because if we suffer, then we're tempted to say, God, why is this happening to me? Or, or God, are you punishing me? Or God, what's wrong with me? Or God, which way am I going? So you can't do that. And the second thing you can't do is look at your day-to-day -day performance. Because let me just be honest with you. Some days you're going to be in a slump. Some days you're going to trip and fall. So, some days, you know, you, 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 so don't get on this roller coaster ride of, man, today I was patient. I kissed my wife, told her I love her 15 times. I didn't yell at anybody. I read my Bible. I prayed. Man, I'm an awesome Christian. And then the next day, God, I slept too late. You know, I said a cuss word. You know, I, told my, I felt, treated my wife like a piece of garbage. I didn't pray. I didn't open the Bible. I'm awful. What's wrong with me? And so many of us are on the roller coaster, and Paul's like, quit looking at yourself. Look at Christ. Look at Christ. He never changes. He's alive, and he ain't dying again, which means you aren't either. So don't get on the roller coaster of your circumstances, or of your day-to-day. -day. So there's two wonderful facts to keep focused on. So let me, before I do that, let me say this. When you focus exclusively on what's wrong, 
you lose focus on what God has made right. And what Paul is saying over and over and over again, focus on what God has made right in Christ. Christ in you, you in Christ. So, I am in Christ. I am in Christ. And my purpose or my horizon is to grow up into Christ. My purpose, my horizon, where I'm headed is to be able to wear this without the awkwardness and, and it, for it to fit like a glove. And that's the new kingdom. But we're moving in that direction, hopefully even as we speak. And the second thing is, focus on Christ is in me. That means you have power to grow in your purpose and move towards your horizon. It's, it's like the, story, the, 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 the famous Notre Dame football story of Rudy, you know, the little short, shrimpy guy that tried out for the team, made the team, and got in on one, like one play at the very end of the year. And the coach, after watching Rudy's effort and hustle, he goes, Rudy, I wish I could put my heart, your heart, into all my players. God has put the life of Jesus into you if you've counted yourself in him. And that's the fourth thing on this new path. I count. I add it all up. The provision personally. It's like most of us are going to check our bank balances occasionally, right? Some of us more than others. And when you do that, you're counting. This is how much money I have. Paul would say, keep looking at Christ and count what you have in him. You have forgiveness, you have acceptance, you have power, you have identity that is not based on something that's subject to change. And then understand that this has been given to you for victory. Okay, so American Idol's back. I don't know if anybody watched American Idol, but consider this, okay? All those contestants for the whole season, they stand up and sing, and, and they get nailed for anything they do wrong. Life for them is a total performance, and they are at the mercy of the judges. That's what a lot of us live like. We're at the mercy of the judge. Is the judge the world? Is the judge myself? Is the judge my family? Is the judge my past? And any little mistake, oh, stress, okay? Fast forward to the finale. Persons crown the winner of American Idol, and they get to sing. But they're not singing for victory they're singing from it. They're singing because they have won. And there's freedom, and there's peace, and there's joy, and there's happiness. If you are a Christ follower, God has said, I'm in you, you're in me, therefore you've won. Be free, be free, be free. So, a little practical tip. How does this work itself out? Okay? There's a conversation going on in your head, my head all the time. And if you listen to that conversation, a lot of that conversation is, what about me? Why not me? When will this happen for me, to me? Uh, what am I going to do? What is God's will for my life? And there's a lot of first person. There's a lot of selfie in that. Okay? And, and, and so if you listen to that conversation enough, that is the dominant narrative in your head. So what I would encourage is all to do, because this, this is how we begin to create a second nature mindset, a new nature in our thinking and in, thus in our living. You change the conversation in your head to incorporate the fact of union life. So instead of saying, 
what about me? You say, God, what, what's going on with us? You're in conversation. You're in communion because you're in union with Christ. Okay? Instead of saying, why is this happening to me? You say, God, what are you teaching me? How are you shaping me? How are you growing me? How are you incorporating your life into my life? And so instead of looking at everything through the lens of myself, you look at everything through the lens of yourself, myself, with Christ in you and you in Him. And as you do that, you begin to face your struggles with Christ, not by yourself. You, you begin to navigate the world not as this autonomous, independent, it all depends upon me, Rocky Balboa, or hey, let it go, let it go. No, you're with Christ and you're in Christ. And gradually over time, you think differently, you live differently because your thinking and your living are now based upon the facts that you have been included in the death and in the life of Jesus Christ. So, here's my question. Have you ever counted yourself in Christ? I know you've counted yourself against the world. I know you've looked at yourself and compared yourself to other people and wished you could be like them or thanked God you weren't like them. But have you ever counted yourself put your faith and your trust in Christ, took his life as your life, let his penalty bear, become, bear your penalty, taking his power as your power. That's what it means to give your life to Christ, to give him the steering wheel, to give him the keys, to give him yourself. If you have never done that, and God the Holy Spirit is saying, come on in. Why don't you surrender to that right now? Take out a next step card. You need to be baptized to illustrate what's just happening in your heart. And you need to share with some people who will walk with you that today you become a Christ follower. But may all of us, as we sing and move forward with our services in just a minute, may we realize we're singing not for something, we're singing because God has said to each of us who have counted ourselves in him, you're my child. I'm in you. You're in me. Sing, live from victory. And have that joy and have that peace. And let us pray. God, I want to thank you <clears throat> for the facts of what you've accomplished and what you've provided and what right now you're offering to people all over Rockbridge a chance to live in union with you, a chance to walk in communion with you. And God, my prayer is that if some of us have stumbled, some of us have grown weary or frustrated, some of us are on the roller coaster of performance or circumstances, we'd stop and get off those rides. And we'd just live into the fact of what you have done, who you are, what you offer in Christ. I pray for those, God, that you have spoken to and invited them to become a Christian, a Christ follower, to let them be born again into a new way of living based on the facts of your death and resurrection. And God, we just want to invite you to be with us as we wrap up our service, 
We want to invite you, God, just to celebrate and be with us as we celebrate who you are and what you've done for us. Union life, Christ in me, Christ in us, us in you forever and ever. Amen.